Our scripture today is John chapter 11, verses 17 through 44. If you're able, please stand out of reverence for God's word. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with the cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, my sermon last week, I talked briefly about the confidence with which which Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He knew that he was entering Jerusalem in order to die. He knew that his death was no accident, but was actually the completion of a plan that God had from before the foundation of the world to rescue people from their sin and restore them to relationship with him. Jesus knew he was going to suffer the consequences for our sin in our place, and that in doing so, as the spotless Lamb of God would make the full payment needed for sin to be forgiven. He would die the death that we deserve and then 
rise. And he knew that he would rise from the dead. And so he could say with complete confidence to people like Martha here in this passage in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And like every one of the disciples in Jesus' day, Martha, as we'll see, was slow to grasp the significance of what Jesus was saying. And as with Martha, so too with so many of us. We're slow to grasp how significant it is that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the resurrection and the life. All the more sad because we wrestle on this side of his resurrection with that glorious truth. And so this morning, for just a few minutes, we're going to take a little while, reflect on this story, look at each of the key characters in it, and allow them to remind us of this glorious truth that we just sang about and that we celebrate this morning on Easter Sunday. From Martha, we'll learn that our doubts are best brought to Jesus. From Mary's grief, we see what it means to take our deepest pain to Him. In Jesus' tears, we get a window into the very heart of God. And then in Lazarus's life, we get a glimpse of what happens whenever anyone responds to the call of Jesus Christ. So Martha's doubts, Mary's grief, Jesus' tears, and Lazarus's life. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning celebrating the resurrection of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we do so asking that you would be with us now. Lord, would you remove the, the veil that so, so, so heavily covers our, our eyes and our hearts. Lord, help us to see and believe these great things that are true, that our lives might be changed as they ought to be in light of that earth-changing reality that happened on this day, Resurrection Day. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So first, Martha's doubts. Uh, let me just set the scene. We didn't even read the whole passage. It was a long one, but it goes back to the beginning of chapter 11. Lazarus, Martha, Mary, they're all friends of Jesus. Jesus knows them well. He was very close uh, to them, and, uh, but geographically he wasn't. He was a ways off. Lazarus falls ill, and messengers must have been sent. They were sent from Lazarus and Mary and Martha in Bethany to where Jesus was to inform him, hey, Lazarus is sick. Now, they knew that Jesus could heal him. I mean, everyone knew. Even the Jews who were there at the tomb mourning with, uh, with Martha and Mary said, listen, isn't this the same guy who healed the blind man? Couldn't he have healed him? And so a messenger is sent to Jesus. Jesus, Lazarus is sick. This guy who you love, you need to come back and heal him. And Jesus says, I'm going to wait. We're going to wait. We're going to wait until after he has died why? Because Jesus wanted to go back and raise Lazarus from the dead. He wanted that to be yet another sign that everything that he had been teaching throughout his earthly ministry was true. If you go back and read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus teaching these amazing things, like saying things like, I am the light of the world, and then doing things like healing people who are blind and giving them sight. And so to here, Jesus is going to say, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he's going to validate his claim by raising his dead friend, Lazarus, back to life. 
And so here's Mary in the passage. Mary's faith seems strong, right? Look at verse 22. Verse 22, well, go back to 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Sounds like strong faith. And in a way, it is. And especially if you look down to verse 27, Martha says to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world, which is a very crucial statement, a very profound statement, in which perhaps in a way that was greater than what she realized, because so many people in Jesus' day said things that were more true than they realized, she was recognizing that, listen, you are the Messiah that, that we've been reading about in our Old Testament. You are the one who has prophesied to come into the world. You are the very Son of God. And so at one level, her faith seems very strong. But with that faith, there is doubt. Go back to verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, the way I just said it sounds a little bit more like a rebuke and less like a statement of faith. And perhaps it was a bit of a rebuke because when you jump down and, and look later in the passage at verse, 20, or verse 39, look at what she says there. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. So whatever she meant back in verse 22 when she said, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you, clearly that did not include raising Lazarus from the dead because she was ready to say to Jesus, we can't roll that stone back. So faith, yes. Doubts that were real. The point, though, is that she took her doubts out to Jesus. She went out to him. So the application for us for this first point, take your doubts to Jesus. We're all to various degrees like Martha. Some of us have great faith. Some of us have been Christians for decades, right? Some of us are brand new Christians. We're very young in the faith. Some of us here this morning, we're not Christians. We don't believe any of this stuff yet. We're not sure. There's no sense of faith. Here's the thing, every single one of us wrestles with doubts. What do we do with those doubts? We take them to Jesus. In Martha's doubt, we get an answer to one of our doubts, one of many that you may have, but one probably is, how is it that so many people could believe that this was true in the early church? How is it that the church came to be? Take a look with me at verses 23 and 24. Because in the way in which we see one of Martha's doubts exposed, we get one of our doubts answered. Verse 23, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again on the last day. All right, so something bound up there. Every Jewish person believed that there would be a resurrection, well, most Jewish people believed that there would be a resurrection at the last day. At the end of history, all people would rise. All Jewish people would rise. They would, they would inherit this earth. It would be theirs. All right? Most Jews believed that. Furthermore, every Jew believed that to say that God could become man was blasphemy. If you, if you made a claim like that, you would be killed for it. And yet, in the first sermons... In the book of Acts, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, sermons that were all about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the God who became man, over 5,000 Jewish people believed. 
And then Paul writes 1 Corinthians, a letter that's in your Bible. Uh, Paul writes 1 Corinthians, within the lifetime of many of the people who observed Jesus, his ministry, and his resurrection. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, listen, over 500 people saw Jesus. Some of them have died. Most of them are still alive. Implication, you can go verify with them, which actually in this day and age, the way in which history was written, it was important that, the, that, that what was written could be verified by those who were still alive, by eyewitnesses. That happens. So here's Martha saying to Jesus, how is it? I, mean, I know that he's going to rise again at the last day. Jesus is going to prove to her, no, something else is about to happen. And the gospel message following Jesus' resurrection is not a resurrection at the last day, but actually a resurrection also in the middle of history of one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ from the dead. And so how is it that over 5,000 Jewish people can believe? It's not that they were hoping that this would be true. You recognize that, right? It's not that their religion up to that point had kind of front-loaded them with an expectation that this would actually happen. They had their reasons for rejecting the claims of the apostles that Christ was, was risen from the dead. They had their reasons. You have your reasons. They had theirs. They were just different. So how do you account for the fact that so many Jewish people came to faith in Jesus Christ, even though everything that they had been taught would lead them to believe that that couldn't possibly happen? Well, the most plausible explanation is that it happened. Take your doubts to Jesus. Martha went out to Jesus. How do you go out to Jesus now? And we get an answer in John chapter 20. Same book of the Bible. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John writes this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe, and this is going to sound familiar, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How do you go to Jesus now? Go to his word. So let me encourage you, read John's gospel. Read this one that we're looking at this morning. If you don't have a Bible, take the one in front of you home. If there's not one in front of you, there's one in back. We will get more. But read John's gospel. Start there. If you have questions, give me a call. We'll get together. I love coffee and I love talking about Jesus. Great mix. Let's get together and talk about these things. These are, this is the most important thing that you'll ever wrestle with. It really is. C.S. Lewis famously said that Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if it's true, it's of infinite importance. But the one thing that it can't be is moderately important. And the same can be said of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Christianity rises and falls based on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you can say the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if false, is of no importance. But if it's true, it is of infinite importance. The one thing it can't be is just kind of important, interesting fact. It's good for those who believe it. From Martha, we learn to take our doubts to Jesus. Let's turn secondly to Mary's grief. From Mary's grief, we learn to take our deepest pain to Jesus. So take a look, verses 28 through 31. 
When she had said this, that's Martha. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. So Mary's back in the house. Again, Martha had gone out to see Jesus. Jesus had not yet come into town. Mary's in the house. There are all kinds of Jewish people around grieving with her. Martha makes her way privately to Mary and says, listen, Mary, Jesus wants you to come out to him. And so picking up in verse 29, and, she, and when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now put yourself in Mary's shoes. Your beloved brother has just died. You know that there was someone who could have prevented that. He didn't come, at least not in time. And you are grieving. This is Mary. Earlier in chapter 11, we're told that this is the same Mary who had fallen at Jesus' feet. Luke chapter 7, washed his feet with her tears and wiped his feet dry with her hair. She knew what it was to be loved by Jesus. She knew that Lazarus was loved by Jesus. How could Jesus not come to her aid? How could Jesus not come to Lazarus's aid? You can imagine that she may have been tempted to harden her heart and to stay put. But she didn't. She actually ran to him, verse 29, right? She went quickly and went to him. She wept at his feet. I love that picture. Here's, here's Mary who had once wept at his feet, having received forgiveness for her sin from him and, and washed her feet, his feet with her tears, and now she's at his feet again with her tears covering his feet. She doesn't go with answers. Look at verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She was weeping. This is not Mary standing bold with confidence saying, Lord, I know that this would have happened. This is Mary in her grief. Implied question, why weren't you here? Why didn't you come? But she goes. She runs to him with her grief. And so the application for us, don't just go to Jesus with your doubts. Go to Jesus with your grief. Go to Jesus with your sorrows. If God is God, the question that we often wrestle with is how is it that he can allow bad things to happen. And when bad things happen in our lives, we're tempted to harden our hearts. We're tempted to stay where we would expect Mary to say, stay in the house, grieving, maybe even angry. We're tempted to look elsewhere for answers. The Bible calls us to draw near. James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 1 Peter 5, 7, we've been looking at 1 Peter, our other Sundays here at the church. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. This is Jesus. Listen, we... We have these griefs. We have these things that we wrestle with. We do not go to Jesus necessarily with answers. 
For some things, there are no answers. But we do go out to a person who also grieves. What was Jesus' response when Mary came out to him and fell at his feet weeping? It was not, get up, Mary. Where's your faith? He wept. From Mary's grief, we learn to take our grief to Jesus. But what about Jesus' tears? Third point. Jesus' tears open a window for us into the very heart of God. Take a look at verses 33 through the first part of verse 38. Let's read that. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And we'll read the rest in a minute. It is hard to do justice to the depth of emotion that John tells us Jesus was feeling at this point. The word in verse 33, it's actually one word in verse 33 that the ESV is just trying, is wrestling with to translate. Uh, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That's just one word in Greek. It has to do with the, <clears throat> it was used in some places to talk about, and outside of the Bible in in Greek literature, to talk about the snorting of horses. It's just this sense in which there is this profound, what do you call it? How do you translate it in English? Anger? Rage? Grief? Sorrow? I mean, you've got that all bound up here in this passage with Jesus. On the one hand, you could say he was indignant. He was outraged. But he's also weeping in verse 35 and again in verse 38. He's overcome with grief. He's distraught. How do you wrap all these things up together in, in one nice, neat word? You can't. The question to ask, though, is why? Why such strong emotion from Jesus? Was it because his friend Lazarus was dead? No, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Was it because his friends Martha and Mary were crying? No, he knew that in just a minute they were going to be rejoicing like no one had ever rejoiced. So why the strong emotion? I think it was because Jesus knew that this is not the way things were supposed to be. This is not the way he created things to be. Death is an intruder. Death is a violator of all that is right and good. Death is not just part of life, my dear friends. Death is an aberration. Death brings destruction. Death is profoundly wrong. And so Jesus wept. He raged because of what he saw unfolding before him. Now, what do his tears tell us about God's heart? Well, his tears tells us, tell us that he understands our tears. He understands. Jesus can look at Mary and Martha, Jesus the God-man who in his humanity knew what it was to suffer loss and to grieve deeply. He is, after all, as we heard read a few minutes ago, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He knew what it was to grieve with those who grieve. Jesus understands. Jesus, the God-man, the eternal Son of God, understands our tears. But God also remembers our tears. This is so amazing. There's a psalm, Psalm 56, verse 8. 
It reads like this. You, God, keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Psalm 103 says, You, O God, have separated my sins. You've removed them from me as far as the east is from the west, and you remember them no more. God intentionally forgets his people's sin. He is intently focused on remembering their tears. He stores them up. God understands our tears. He remembers our tears. And he will one day wipe away our tears. Lazarus' resurrection just gives a little preview, a little glimpse of what will ultimately one day be when Jesus Christ, the risen one, returns. And Revelation 24, 21 verse 4 tells us, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's the very heart of God. To bring healing where there's brokenness. To make straight all that death has made crooked. To wipe away every tear from the eyes of those who mourn. The tears of Jesus give us a glimpse into the very heart of God. Fourth and finally, let's look at Lazarus' life. Lazarus' life gives us a glimpse into what happens when anyone responds to the call of Jesus. Let's look at verses 38 through 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. One day Jesus will call out. One theologian said of this passage, it sure is a good thing that he specified Lazarus. Because if Jesus had just said, come forth, every stone would have been rolled away from every tomb and all the dead would have come forth. Such is the power of the call of Jesus Christ. But in this instance, it was just Lazarus. And so Lazarus, call, come forth. Lazarus, come out. One day Jesus will return and he will call out. The God who spoke and all things came into being will again speak and all that is dead will be brought to life. He will call out. All will rise and stand before the judgment seat. All will have to give an account for everything done in their life. And those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, who have come under his blood shed on the cross, blood by which payment was made that our sin might be forgiven, will not rise to condemnation, but will rise to resurrection life, will rise to glory and joy that so greatly exceeds anything that Martha and Mary ever knew, anything that Lazarus ever knew, because Lazarus would eventually die. But one day, Jesus will call out, and one day, every stone will be rolled away. 
However, Jesus is still calling out. He's not calling out to the, to the physically dead that they might have life. He is calling out to the spiritually dead that they may have eternal life. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in our sin and transgressions until God, by his great mercy in Christ Jesus, gave us life. Jesus in John chapter 3 said a man must be born again, by which he meant there must be new life, a new heart, a heart that had been prophesied in the Old Testament that the Savior would bring if there would be faith. Shorthand meaning this, Jesus is still calling out. He's calling out by his word as it's proclaimed. He's calling out as his word is faithfully preached. He's calling out whenever anyone shares the good news about him. Jesus is calling and those for whom he died will respond. And so the question that I ask you this morning is, is, is Jesus calling you? Mentioned on Friday night at our Good Friday service that when the two disciples were on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appeared to them, they would later reflect on that and one would turn to the other and say, did not our hearts burn within us when he walked on the road with us and talked to us? It may be that right now your heart is burning within you. There's this sense of, man, maybe, maybe this is true and not just true for other people, but maybe it is that, that Jesus died for me. Go out to him. Put your trust in him. Receive the forgiveness that he died to grant to all who look to him. So we get a little glimpse in Lazarus' life, but it's just a glimpse. As I mentioned before, Lazarus rose to die. <laughs> Jesus rose and never died. Jesus' resurrection body is the preview of what our resurrection body will be like. There's this wonderful contrast between the grave clothes for Jesus and the grave clothes for Lazarus, right? Lazarus is raised and he's still bound and he's, you know, kind of stumbling out. People have got to help him out of it. Jesus rises from the dead. The face cloth is neatly folded there. Jesus' body is a, a body that is in no way bound by the things of this earth, but instead fit for the life of a renewed earth. So too will our bodies be. When Jesus Christ returns and he calls out and the dead in Christ are raised, we are raised to a body that will be in some way like his. The Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that book I referenced earlier, in chapter 15 of that book, Paul says, you know what, our bodies, they're sown in, in dishonor, they're raised in glory. They're sown corruptible, but they're raised incorruptible. In some way, our bodies will be like that of Christ. But it's not just resurrected bodies, it's a renewed earth. Jesus came to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. Everything, because Jesus is risen, will be made new when he returns. All that is bound up in this great statement. The statement that the sign proves, not just the sign of Lazarus, 
But ultimately, the sign that we celebrate this morning, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in this, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Everyone in this story is going out to Jesus. Martha moves toward Jesus with her doubts. Mary with her grief. Lazarus toward Jesus in response to his call. Will you move toward Jesus with your doubts? Will you move toward Jesus with your grief? Will you respond to Jesus' call and find new life in him? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Believe in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your word. These 66 books that have been preserved for us down to this very day that tell us the one story of what you have done to rescue a people for yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. Let us all bound together with a cord stronger than the binding on our Bibles that we hold in front of us because it's all bound together by your word of promise, your word of power. You spoke and all things were created. You will speak yet again and all things will be made new. Until that glorious day, Lord, as we come to you with our, our doubts, help us to see every reason to believe that that which is true is true. As we come to you with our grief, oh God, would it be that we anticipate the day when every tear will be wiped from our eye and even now experience a measure of healing and peace as we await that day. And oh Lord, for those whom you are calling this morning into relationship with you, please give them the courage and the strength to respond in faith. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't imagine what it must have been like on that first um, Lord's Supper, if you will, on the night that he was betrayed, when Jesus stood with his disciples in front of this meal and held up the bread and held up the cup. They were like Martha and like so many of us. What is happening here? <laughs> but now, because Jesus is risen, all of this makes so much more sense. The bread broken, representing his body broken in our place, has served the ultimate purpose, the sacrifice that would bring forgiveness of sin. Same with the blood shed, to end the shedding of all the blood of the sacrificial lambs and, and other animals throughout the Old Testament. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, it is a somber reminder of what Jesus Christ did. But because of the resurrection, it is a glorious sign to us who have put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, that the one who stood with his disciples and broke bread and offered a cup will one day welcome us into his presence to enjoy fellowship with him forever. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and after he broke it, he gave thanks, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sin. 
And the Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we show forth the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. If your hope is in Jesus Christ, if you made profession of your faith and been baptized, we welcome you to this table. If that's not where you are in your life right now, think on what it would mean for Jesus to be your Savior. Look to him today. Don't wait another day. This is the most important decision you ever have to make. And allow the bread and the juice to pass by. This is for those who put their trust in Jesus. But at the same time, it is a welcome from the Lord Jesus Christ for you to put your trust in him. I'm going to pray as I do. I'd like to invite the servers to come forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what the bread and the juice on this table represent the body of your son Jesus Christ broken and his blood shed, that we might have forgiveness of sin and the promise of life everlasting. We ask that you would set this bread and this juice apart from their common use and that you would use them to accomplish the purpose for which you have provided them to your church, that as your people feed on these elements by faith in you, we are by your spirit strengthened to follow you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.